and welcome to another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spendlove. I'm joined in the studio by co-host El Presidente, <laughs> Conagher Jones. How are you? Good, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's good, to, good to have you here. Have we had you in the studio before? No, this is my first time. Wow. It's like it's like Return of the King. Yeah, yeah like something coming, like that. Coming back where you've always belonged. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, studio. but... <laughs> Someday all that you see here in the studio will be yours <laughs> when my time has come. You're the Gosh, that's an overwhelming thought. <laughs> well, just uh, don't throw me into a pack of wildebeests. And I think we're going to be. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Fine. Uh, today we are joined by a very special guest, Professor Robert Little. How are you, Professor? I am very, very well. Excited to be here. Yeah, well, it's good to have you. Um, I think I say this to a lot of our guests, particularly professors, but this has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, You and I have talked about this for a while. I think I obliquely mentioned back in November or December, oh, yeah, I, I started a podcast. <laughs> it was something like that. I mean, like with all things with lawyers, yeah. uh, we may talk about doing things. It takes us much longer to actually get them <laughs> on our calendars and get them done. So yeah. uh, it is not surprising that y'all are following in a great legal tradition of procrastinating <laughs> and failing to get things done in a timely manner. So, But I'm happy yeah. to be here finally. Yeah, well, I'm, it's uh, it's good to know that we're you know we're following in the footsteps of giants with our, our procrastination efforts. Uh, <laughs> Professor Little teaches one one class, the beginning trial ad. I teach beginning trial ad. Um, so I teach beginning trial ad to second year students, and then I am uh, part of the practice court faculty. So I teach. Okay. Uh, I do some lectures in there, but also mostly I'm watching exercises. So <clears throat> I watch exercises all throughout the practice court process. So I'm probably the um, main PC faculty member you're likely to see in things like bench hearings uh, or board ire or even a big trial or, or two at the end. Um, but that's, yeah, that's pretty much my entire teaching load. And then I occasionally, I've taught Lark 5 um, a couple of times since I've been here. Okay, cool. And you are also, I want to make sure you get this right, the director of advocacy? Director of advocacy programs. Programs, okay. So okay. not just trial advocacy, but all of our advocacy programs, kind of big picture um, uh, from all the different stuff we're doing. Very, very cool. Well, I want to get into that uh, in just a little bit. But first, you know, we love asking our guests about their stories, kind of how you got wherever you want point A to be to where Well, how far back do you want to go? Like, I was born in <laughs> yeah, a little tin In roof. the beginning, no. yeah. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Dallas. I grew up in Oak Cliff. Uh, and then I went to high school, though, in Sherman, which is about an hour north. My parents were both Baylor grads, so I came to Baylor for undergrad. Um, graduated in 2002, immediately went to law school here because um, I loved it so much. Uh, <laughs> finished here in 2005 um, and then stayed in Waco, went to work for a law firm in town uh, called Name and House Fifth and Lee. Um, eventually became a partner there uh, doing civil trial work um, of kind of all stripes uh, except for family law um, and a little bit of family law, I guess I should say. I shouldn't be. Uh, Anyway, so sure. I worked at Damon House, and Lee was a partner there, and then in 2019, spring of 2019, I came to law school full-time as the director of advocacy programs. I've been coaching teams here um, since 2008, and then I had been going to Scotland since we done started that program. So I've been part of that, but became full-time faculty in 2019. Very cool. Um, after coming on, I mean, full-time faculty, you're here full-time, obviously. Do you get to still try cases on occasion? I've gotten to get back in the courtroom. I don't think I've actually set uh, first chair on a trial. I've been, I've cross-examined some witnesses. I've done a couple depositions, but I've been back in the courtroom for hearings, things like that. I do a, a fair amount of writing, um, which is probably the number one thing that I've carried over from my time in the actual law firm. 
Um, I think that there's going to be a trial here in the fall, maybe. Uh, there's one that looks like it might go. Uh, so still trying to get in the courtroom if I can. Um, but to be fair, in the world of civil uh, trial work, that's uh, rare and rare these days for a lot of us. So um, for those that are no longer full-time lawyers, it's even more rare that you're going to be able to find your way in the courtroom. But uh, I continue to make every effort I can to find my way back in if I can if I can get there. Sure. So you're the you're the cavalry that they call in on. <laughs> I don't think that's how they describe it. <laughs> I think they describe it as, hey, that guy that used to work here um, and still kind of works here. Um, <laughs> if you we've got something we don't want to write, send it to that guy. Uh, and so I, I think I'm more the uh, the 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 pinch hitter. Um, on a couple of things, but it's good that you know, they let me do some stuff through there. And I, I had a few cases when I left that I carried with me, and so some stuff that I was kind of finishing up and cleaning up. And and and, but it's been really really good. Cool. Uh, when you were there at the law firm full time, I mean, you said you worked on a, a variety of different cases. Was there a certain type of case or area of the law that you particularly liked working on? You know, no. Um, I would say no. I, I mean, I really, to me, it was always more a, something that was different or a challenge. I, I, you know, I find myself, and I think that's one of those things, it's so funny working at the law school, um, how often a student will say, well, I want to do appellate law, or I want to do family law, or I want to do criminal law, you know, and, and, and then there's even more kind of narrowed down, like I want to do um, trust in the state's work, and I only want to do it on, you know, this side of the docket and all these things. Mm -hmm. And what I found working where I did was I got to do a lot of different stuff. I did plaintiff's work. I did defense work. I did insurance defense. I did, you know, individual defense work and individual plaintiff work and all kind. I've worked on trust in the state's cases. Um, I've worked on a bunch of, you know, securities regulations cases. I've worked on intellectual property stuff. And my thing was always just finding something new to do. Um, I loved I loved researching and writing um, for my, you know, I, I love sitting in the office as much as I like being a trial lawyer um, and taking depositions and, and doing trial work is probably my favorite part of the job. But I really liked just sitting in the office and, and researching complicated legal matter. Mm -hmm. And when you broke it and figured it out and found the case that was going to, you know, help you and then you had to write it, um, I always thought that was really fun. But it wasn't one topic. You know, it was more to me like just... Uh, finding new interesting stuff to work on, finding different things. I was kind of, when I was at Name and Hal, um, when there was a, not that I'm the smartest one there, but not by far by far a lot. I think I'm just hard-headed enough where I won't quit. And yeah. so a lot of times it was the thing nobody else could find and they'd come and say, can you find anything? And it was just me being stubborn enough to be like, I'm sure there's something that does that. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, you know, my kind of sweet spot. And then I love, I mean, for civil lawyers, taking depositions is kind of like the modern-day trial work, and I love taking, you know, if I miss anything, it's go and take a deposition and because uh, those were just always fun days and a good case where you had a, a good corporate rep or somebody who thought they were going to be able to get one over on you. Those were always just fun times. But <laughs> so kind of ran the yeah. gamut. I did a couple of criminal cases. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask. But uh, but this being a criminal. But, yeah, I figured that was. I mean, I figured we were going to talk about those two cases and I'd be done. Um, but uh, but but yeah, no. I mean, no real topic. Just kind of you know all the different stuff we got to do. Very cool. Um, obviously, being a Baylor grad, Baylor law grad, you had to go through practice court. Uh, we've had a few interviews lately that have revolved around practice court. What what skills are, um, yeah, let's, let's ask, put it to you that way. What skills or, or talents do you think practice court helped you develop and hone? Uh, you know, it was so funny when I was in law school. So we, we finished the second year of law school, and 
I wasn't a bad student. I wasn't the best student. And I had a lot of my close friends in law school were all kind of like the best students. So it was particularly sad for me because they were like, <laughs> um, you know, all getting high A's and, and, and all had very high GPAs. They were all in law review. And I was just kind of like the dolt of the group. And that was fine. I, I would live through that. Um, again, not terrible grades, but I just was not the, the top student. But when he got to practice court, I thought, well, this is my moment. Because no longer can you just write more down, down more note cards than I can or take a better outline than I am. You actually have to stand up in the room and talk. Um, <clears throat> and then I remember the first uh, exercise with Jerry Powell. And eight and a half hours later, I was like, this is not my moment. Uh, it turns out I'm also terrible at this. Um, and yeah. and yeah. I did not realize at the time that that was everyone's experience with Jerry Powell, with Professor Powell. And, and I was not the only one. Um you know, what I think practice court does more than anything, mm-hmm. um, yes, you learn a lot of kind of basic skills of how things work mechanically um, and how trials function and all of the evidence and procedure stuff is so tremendously helpful. Um, when you get out and practice, you just kind of know those things like the back of your hand. Um, but for me, it's just, you know, the practice of law is harder than practice court. Like, there's just no question about that. Mm. You know, every single time I have a student who is struggling in practice court, um, you know, in addition to trying to pick them up and trying to encourage them, and and one of the things I always tell them is, this job is tougher than this. Mm. Um, Because the one thing you're missing in practice court right now is you're missing the part where somebody is paying you to do it and somebody's livelihood is on the line or somebody's life is on the line or somebody's relationship with their children is on the line. And so if you think it's stressful now, wait until you wake up in a panic at 4 o'clock in the morning in a case where there are millions of dollars at stake and you're trying to remember, did I file that thing? Um, Wait until you've got a brief due by midnight and you have, you know, it's 6 p.m. and you know you're not going to be done until 11.50. And you just know it because you know how how, how much more work you got to do. You know, this stuff is tough, but... It's, it's not as hard as the job. And so I think that it's the thing that Baylor's preparing you for and practice court prepares you for is it's at least a first step into what that job's going to look like. And I think a lot of lawyers, if you go to another law school and you haven't had that experience, then it's kind of a real whiplash. I think our students handle that first year, second year out because they've gotten accustomed to working hard. They've gotten accustomed to, I'm going to have to go to work. I'm going to have to go to class all day. I'm going to have to go home. I'm going to have to eat a bowl of cereal. And I'm going to start reading. And I'm going to go to bed. And I'm going to get up the next morning. I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be six days a week, seven days a week for the next nine, you know, nine weeks of my life. And that's every, that's what the job is. And it's harder. You know, it's harder. And so I think that's the, the thing it gives you more than anything is it prepares you for what the real job feels like. And then I think it makes you more comfortable in the courtroom. Um, and I think it makes me more comfortable in the boardroom. You know, I think our students who go on to do transactional work, I think it's good because that's still a job where you got to stand up and talk to people. you still got to yeah. look people in the eye, um, whether it be your own partners or the people you're working for or the lawyer on the other side who's trying to get the better end of the negotiation. So I just think from a comfortability standpoint, the more reps you have, the more time you have in the courtroom – um, the better off you're going to be. And so I think that's a really valuable part of it. And the last part of it is I think it's good for creativity. If, you, if y'all are doing it correctly, if the students take it right, um, which, you know, there's an approach to practice court, which is just, I just want to get through this without getting a memo. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah. we know that. Sure. We know that. And by the way, I can tell when you're in, when you're in one of my courtrooms and I can tell you're just, I don't want a memo, kid. That's fine. That is your choice. But you're robbing yourself of something which I think is really valuable in practice court, which is, 
for the same reasons I just said, there's no money on the line. There's nobody's life on the line. No livelihoods on the line. There's no uh, family relationships on the line. It's not a real trial. Um, so it's the last place in your life where you're really going to be able to try stuff, where you're really going to be able to yeah. have fun with the job um, without fear of costing your client something. So you can be more creative. You can be more adventurous. You can be more bold. And I just think that's a really good... If, for those that take advantage of it, I think that's a really good way to treat practice court because it allows you to really go for something that, you know, once we get out in the practice of law, we're always a little bit scared to go for too much. Hopefully, part of what we're training you here to be is not scared. So, you know, it gives you that chance to try those things. Yeah. Well, I, I really, that was one thing uh, that stuck with me when I did the direct and cross demo, which felt like a flaming train wreck. I mean, it probably looked like one too, but... Uh, I remember you stopped me early on and you were like, why aren't you asking about his wife and his kids and his family and the stuff that's right outside of the packet, you know, is, is kind of how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Outside, think outside the packet. And I, I think that's the other thing too is, you know, in real life, there's so much outside the packet. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? And so if you get stuck in that, now is the time, to your point, to start broadening your Well, life. and one of the really, I mean, first of all, so you did the direct and cross demo for the class? Yeah. Um, you know, universally, I feel awful for the two. It's, it's such a great thing because you get to go first, so you're done. Yeah, right. Like, all of your classmates have to go the next week. They still have that dread. But you also have four professors watching you, and we stop you, like, every five seconds. And, and by the way, we give different thoughts about the same thing, and we talk over each other. So we're all giving you stuff, and it goes on for hours. And at the end of it, every year, I'm, I mean... I don't think Emma Vinky will... Is, I think she's still mad at me about the <laughs> Direct and Cross demo um, and the fact that I put her through it. And so, um, you know, I, I, I always... For those who do the demo, I always say thank you because, I mean, it is a particularly challenging day. Uh, I know because you walk in, it's like you've been picked to do this because you've demonstrated some capability of doing it and then four or five hours later, you're like, that was the least fun I've ever <laughs> <Yeah>. had. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for doing it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the, the funny thing about the practice of law, or at least when we do practice court, we hand you... These packets. Yeah. And of course, those don't exist. Like, that's not a real thing when you get a case. When you get a case, there's a blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, your client generally walks in and you say, tell me what happened. Yeah. And they start talking. And you ask them questions and they keep talking and you write things down and you may record them. You may turn that into affidavits or you may eventually take their deposition and eventually you're going to put them on stand. But really, it is right now in practice, we have to do it this way. Yeah. We, we hand you kind of the bare bones of a story. In real life, you construct the story with your client sitting in a room talking to each other, learning about them, you know, asking them about their family and their kids and their wife and their husband and, you know, their job. And and that all just becomes, like, organic. And so there is no story for you. There's the story of their life, and you have to pull it out of them um, and figure out which parts are important and then which parts to talk about. So that is one thing about the way we do this that is kind of impossible to change. We can't do it the other way. Um, and effectively in the amount of time we have, but it is 100% true, which is uh, generally what happens is we hand you the packet and then you're kind of like, okay, that's the whole thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's clearly not the whole thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> These people had lives. like They didn't <laughs> pop up and they were like, I'm 45 and I have three kids and they don't have names or ages. What do you, yeah. what? Um, right. You know, it's kind of the, the old joke. I mean, I say this all the time, but what's the next obvious question? It happens constantly in practice work, which is the first question, like, are you married? And they'll be like, Yes. And then the next question is, and what do you do for a living? And I'm like, okay, not ever once in your life have you looked at another human being and said, are you married? And they said yes, and you didn't immediately follow up with, 
what is your husband's name? <laughs> or like, how long have you been married? Yeah. And where did you meet? And any number of other questions. And yet for some reason, when we walk in these courtrooms and practice court, it's like, and are you married? Yes. And that is all we need to yeah. know about that. Yeah. Did it. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of part of, I think, the process of practice court. And I think part of what's hard about it especially is, um, you know, we, so we spend two years kind of on these tests being like, what are the elements and how do you test those? And all this kind of this regimented system. And then you get to practice court and it's not a test. It's how do you talk to a person? How do you just organically have a conversation? The way an actual human being has a conversation, yeah, right. not the way a law student thinks about a conversation, um, you know, but an actual conversation with somebody, which really is kind of challenging. You know, you don't think it would be just to talk to somebody. But by the time you get to your third year of law school, you've kind of like given up that part of your life. Yeah. Um, and Very so, human. yeah, <laughs> part of it is just trying to remind you that you are, in fact, a normal human being or can be at some level. And so just be one for when you're in the courtroom is always helpful. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but that is actually our Criminal Law Society motto uh, coined by, at the time, I think she was an ADA, uh, Akua Asabil. Uh, be a normal person. Be a normal person. Is, is, our, is our motto. And yet... And yet, when Michael Warren was on that stand, said, are you married? Yes. How long have you worked at whatever place? And it's like the robot comes out. It just, it's, it, and every single time. But it is, it is absolutely, you know, one of the lectures I give in practice court is the uh, courtroom basics. And one of the things I talk about in that, that lecture a lot is just being yourself, being a normal person. Because um, it's so much, I mean, y'all walk in these rooms. I can watch it happen. I see y'all in the hallway. Like talking to your friends and you're just like happy and they're smiling and your bodies are loose and you know there's no tension and then as soon as I walk in the classroom it's just like and it's yeah. just like all the joy is gone from your life and you are law student you know X you were just exist as a law student and I'm and you know part of what we've got to do in trial work is and I get it it's hard and y'all are working hard and, and y'all been trained that way but it's you know we are just people talking to people. You know, it's that simple, ultimately. It's for people talking to people. And so part of just getting back to that basic principle, which is we've got to be people talking to people. Yeah. I remember um, in beginning trial ad, which I took the quarter before I started PC, we were doing the direct exam <laughs> portion. And it was the Titanic case, which, you know, everybody knows the story of Titanic, right? Uh, and I was just trying to ask about like what happened you know tell me what happened and I remember we were over Zoom I remember pausing and being like why do I suck at this why can't I just like ask regular questions you know so I, I think I asked you then I think I asked you uh, when I was like on the break finally you said okay put your swords down we're gonna let you take a little breather you know and uh, and I asked you at the break like how does how do you get better at doing it so for our listeners you know how, how does somebody get better at talking like a normal person just having a conversation in that high pressure high intensity courtroom setting well one thing is you just got to do it i mean i think the the reps i mean the reason beginning trial ads a really good course i think the reason going to scotland is really great is because i think that it gives you reps before you go to practice court and then practice court gives you a bunch of reps and then you're gonna get out and practice and hopefully you have a good mentor who gives you reps you know if you're gonna do if you're gonna become a, a assistant district attorney then you're gonna get reps doing you know um 
misdemeanor cases and, and traffic, t- you know, whatever that low-level misdemeanor stuff looks like, and then eventually, hopefully, you build up and you get more reps. And so part of it's just experience. I mean, part of it's just doing it a bunch of times to where you become more natural and you become more comfortable. The other part of it is tougher, which is the part where you just have to, I mean, it's, it's difficult to think like this because you didn't come to law school to just be, you know, a normal person having a normal conversation. You came here to learn about how to be a lawyer. But the reality is now you got to kind of step back out of that in your head and don't overcomplicate things. Yeah. I mean, you know, we so often, it's amazing how many times a student will start to ask questions like that, like literally, and what happened next. And it's just like, you know, the word vomit that happens and the and the machinations and like different, and I'm just sitting there going, what do you want this person to talk yeah. about? <laughs> and when I ultimately get around to it, it's, the question is something like, well, I just, need, I just need to tell them like what happened next. I'm like, then why don't you just say it? And so what happened next? <laughs> And, you know, it's kind of that thing where just getting out of your own head um, and relaxing and and remembering that you're just a person talking to a person, I think is so helpful. That's really hard. And so part of that comes with experience as well. I mean, part of it is the more you do it. You know, I tell people all the time, I don't think I can find my first deposition. I wish I could. Um, I assume it is awful. I have read deposition I've taken. I've read trial transcripts. I've read trial transcripts that I from cross examinations I've done where I look at it and go, "That's terrible." Um, I got a lot better taking depositions after taking a couple hundred of them, you know. And so that first one has to be ter- awful and just look <laughs> awful and not make no sense. And so it's just really, I mean, part of it's just getting used to it, getting comfortable, and the more comfortable you get, the easier it becomes, and and you're gonna sound better and look better and do better uh, the more you do it. So that's the biggest thing is just getting the reps in and just relaxing. You know, I think yeah. just trying to remember what you're there to do and just chilling out and, and kind of shaking it out. And, you know, I always talk about the, the basic court basics lecture, getting there early. Part of the reason I want to get there early is because I just want to relax in the courtroom, feel comfortable in the space, kick my you know arms up on the bench and kind of just look around and just relax, chill so that I'm not rushing in and I've got all that anxiety and adrenaline and all that. So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. The reps, yeah. That's. I, I feel like uh, we were talking. I I was able to go to Scotland this summer, which I will go ahead and make another plug. You know, go ahead and do it if you can because it's a the reps. B St Andrews is incredible. It's gorgeous. Can, you know, we can talk a lot about that uh, and and how amazing that was. But you and I had a chance to sit down one morning. You know, I think I saw you at a Starbucks or something, mm-hmm. and it was toward the end of it, and I was like, man, it's like finally gelling what we had talked about yeah. all this time, right? And it took beginning trial ad and PC and two weeks intensive in Scotland to finally be like, okay, you know, like, I've got something that I can work with now. Well, and you've been on a mock trial team last spring. I mean, so you did that process as well. I mean, so you've had lots of, but I mean, it's, it's more often than not, it's going to be after somebody's out in practice that I get the email that says, this is a thing that happened in a trial. And it's like, now I understand why you kept saying that thing. Yeah. Um, you're in school, right? Like, yeah. you're in, that's the thing is, y'all are all in school. Like, I mean, you know, so you're still learning. I'm still learning. You know, there are still people I, I never want to stop learning. Um, you know, when I first came here full time, I went and watched uh, all the AFSCE lectures by Professor Wren and Professor Fraley and Professor Counselor because I was like, I, and Professor Powell, I was like, I just want to see what they're talking about. Yeah. I haven't seen these in a long time. I haven't been in the classroom. Uh, since 2005, thought it might be a good idea to go watch a couple of those things. And so I went and watched them, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'd never thought about that like that for um, for several of those things. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can always learn and get better. And I say this all the time, and I think it's true. If at any point you think you know everything and you're perfect, 
then I got bad news for you because that just means you're never going to improve and you also don't know that you're still making mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're going to keep making them. And this is a process of always thinking about how do I get better? How do I get better? How do I do that right now next time? I've never walked out of a courtroom, never walked out of a deposition and thought to myself that went perfect. I couldn't do that any better. Mm. You know, you could always improve what you did the last time you did it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that reminds me of something Professor Counselor said when he was in here. You know, the mindset, the mentality has to be growth, but it also has to be, you know, the way he put it was you have to hate failure, you have to hate to lose, but you can't be afraid of it, right? And I think that practice court and the process of, you know, whatever it is, right, any, any of that repetition is getting you away from that fear and being like, you know what? I survived. <laughs> there was a moment when I was doing that direct and cross demo. It was like out of body experience. Oh, yeah. It was like, wow, this is bad. <laughs> like, this is really bad. And there was like a choice, right? It was like, I could turn to y'all and be like, okay, I, I'm sorry. I don't know how to do this. Or you just put that foot in front of the other one and you got to keep moving forward. Well, I mean, practice court is always, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, you know, honestly, what's the worst thing that, you know, the, the the worst thing that can happen most days in practice court is like, I can throw you out, I can fail you, I can give you a memo. Those are like the worst things that can happen to you. Yeah. Um, in comparison to the rest of your life, all of those things are kind of like, <laughs> you're going to make it through yeah. those. And honestly, I mean, for, at least for me, the odds are I'm not doing any of those things unless you just don't try. So as long as you keep putting the other foot in front, in front, you keep trying, you keep tr getting back up and saying, "I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going," then I'm, you know, I'll reward you just for, you know, the continued effort, just for, just for showing me that you care, that you want to be there and you want to get better. Um, but yeah, man, we're all going to fail at some point. I mean, if you're if you ever meet a lawyer who all they can tell you about is all their wins, then it's just like meeting a gambler who all they can tell you about is all their wins. Yeah. Because that just means that the, all the losses, there's a lot more losses and they don't want to talk about them. I mean, uh, you know, everybody's lost. I mean, Jerry Campbell, who's a partner in I name and house, a great guy, was a great trial lawyer. He always used to say, you're not a real lawyer until you lost a million dollars. He's like, you're just not a real trial attorney until you've lost a million dollars. And if you've never lost a million dollars, you don't, don't you just don't know what this job is. Wow. And that's because he had tried a million bunch of cases. Yeah. Um, and he was, and I mean, I'd seen him where he would just be like, yeah, we're, we're probably going to lose. It's probably going to be like $1.5 million, $2 million, no big deal. Now, I think in the modern era, it's more like if you haven't lost $5 million, then you're not a real trial lawyer. But the thing, but I mean, the, the, the reason he would say that is just because you have to accept you're not going to win every case. You're going to get beat. If you want to do this job and do it well, you're going to lose. And it's about trying to figure out how to avoid that in the future and how to get better um, and how to grow. You know, I mean, Professor Council is 100% right, how to grow and how to get better every chance you can. Yeah. So kind of in that vein with someone who wants to make the most of their practice court experience, um, like like me, I haven't, I haven't done it yet. So what, what, are, what are some things that successful practice court students do to maximize their benefit from taking the course? Well, I think the the course and the classroom, I think, are two. Are the 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 courtroom and the classroom are two different things. I think for the classroom, I think um, you know you got to read everything um, and you got to really think about how to do that in an effective manner. I, the way I did it was I read very far ahead in the procedure portion of the course. So I was maybe two or three weeks ahead in that that reading, so I would do that on the weekends. And that way, during the week, I was only reading for the evidence class every night. Um, and, you know, very detailed briefs on the, the other stuff. But that way, when I picked one of those briefs up, I remembered the case I was looking at. I would, I would be able to accomplish it. you got to figure out for yourself what works for you in the classroom. That stuff is really helpful 
in the courtroom, I think, you know, um, really two things I think are really helpful. One is really thinking about it as a project in storytelling. From Jump Street until the end, it's a project in storytelling. Opening statements are stories. Vordire on some level is a story, but, you know, a little bit different. But opening statements, really all stories, directs are all stories. Cross-examination is all about storytelling. Closing is somewhat about storytelling. The trials are a process of telling stories. And so if you think about as a project in storytelling and not a project in checking boxes, not a project in element, we got to do those things. we got to make sure we prove our case. But we prove our case through stories. We prove damages up through stories. The more you do that, the better you'll get in the in, throughout the course of the progress process. The second thing is, I just, you know, for me, a big part of it is just try. Trying cases is fun. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of this job, you know, some of the, I mean, if you go and work for, a, a civil law firm, you know, and I know that y'all are, but I mean, if, if you go and do that, then you're sitting at your desk doing discovery, like, a lot. And so when you get to go down to the courthouse, that's fun. Um, you know, and when you're in the criminal practice, I mean, a lot of your time is going to be spent, you know, trying, I mean, you guys spend a lot more time in the courtroom than, than those of us on the civil side of the docket, but even some of your time is going to be spent doing stuff behind your desk. And when you get down, and by the way, a lot of your time is going to be spent down at the, you know, the catacall docket where you're just spending four hours sorting through cases and, and rescheduling this one and putting this one on the trial. I mean, that's a lot of it, right? Yeah. So when you're actually getting to try a case, when you're actually getting to put on a witness, when you're actually, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And so what I encourage everybody to do is just think of it. I did. It's fun. You know, when you get to do an opening, it shouldn't be the drudgery or the fear. It's I get to do an opening today. Like, I get to go crush it today. And, you know, I always, I mean, I believe this 100%. I tell my mock trial students this all the time. Your goal should be to beat everyone in that room. Your goal should be, I'm going to be the best person in my room in opening statement today. I'm going to be the best person doing directing cross. We're going to win this trial. And I'm going to be the best lawyer in the room. I want my professors to walk out of here. I want my classmates and I want my professors to walk out of here saying, that person's awesome. And, you know, if you treat it like that, you're going to have a way better experience. You have way more fun. You're going to learn a lot. You're not going to do everything perfectly. Um, you know, I, there is yet to be a, a practice court student who did something and I was just like, nailed it. 100% right. It wasn't Chris Fanboy. Yeah, no, no, shockingly, I, I mean, I, I've had a lot of good ones. I've seen a lot of good students who've done a lot of really good jobs, and yet I've managed to find something to talk about with all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you embrace it like that and treat it like what it is, which I just remember being in that class and thinking every time I went into court, I was like, I want to beat you know, the tar out of these people. I just want to dominate my classmates. I want to impress my friends. You know, that was my goal. And I liked it. Made me enjoy the process. Made me enjoy the class more. And, and I, you know, did better in the class because of it. Yeah. It, I mean, it really, the, the first mini trial is bone-shakingly scary. Like, <laughs> you don't know who's coming in. You're sitting there facing this way. The professor comes from behind. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's Professor Red. You know, oh, my gosh, it's <laughs> Professor whoever, you know. And, and it's scary, but... You stand up, you do your pre-trial, your voice is shaking, your hands are shaking a little bit, but by the time you get to your opening, it's like, it's game time, you know, like, it's it's game on. And, yeah, I mean, I think so many of us, you know, are interested in being prosecutors especially, but, you know, criminal, criminal law attorneys because we are going to get to try a million mm-hmm. stinking cases, you know, and, and now's the time, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. Now's the time to embrace the fun of it and... You know what I was I was referring earlier to you know things kind of gelling for me uh, finally in Scotland and really the thing that gelled was the storytelling aspect you know and just internalizing <coughs> the story of the case, picturing it and then telling what you see 
you know, what, what, you, what you can see in your mind. <coughs> is that something, we were kind of asking Professor Counselor about this when he was on as well, but um, is that something that you really brought to the practice court uh, curriculum? Was that storytelling emphasis or is that? No, no, no. Okay. That's, that's been, I mean, nothing. There are little things that each one of us do. There are little things each one of us do differently. There are little things that we would probably bring to the program and, and talk about that differently. Um, but that is just Baylor Law 101, right? That is the way we were taught it by Jerry Powell and, and, and the way he was taught and, and by Mad Dog. I mean, that is just very much the, the through line of this program going back for a long time is that storytelling, the, the, the emphasis on storytelling and the emphasis. And I mean, you know, I, I think we have a specific way of doing it. I think mm-hmm. that's, but I think that's also true of, you know, most law schools that pay attention and care about this type of thing. But we, I mean, that's not anything that I started. That's not anything that, that, um, that, you know, anybody in this current group started. That's something that, I mean, I, that was Jerry Powell's emphasis to me the entire time I was here in law school. So if anything, I'm carrying that on um, from what I was taught. So yeah, that's nothing new. Cool. Well, you you own it so well that it, it's like it's your own, you know. A lot of my cousin Vinny clips a lot of. Well, that's the power you know. of a good storyteller, right? Like I mean, <laughs> right. you all were con- you all are convinced that You're I invented this, and that is just not true. Like, wow. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi over here, you know, teaching us. I mean, look, my, the My Cousin Vinny thing, I'm just trying to get your generation of law students to watch the movie. Because I've realized that there are so many, first of all, I mean, I realized this, I mean, I don't know, five, seven something years ago when I was coaching, all of a sudden my references stopped landing with, with students. And I was like, <laughs> something's happened here. Um, and then, you know, I've so come to the realization that I'm old. And so um, there are just some films that, like, that everyone should watch. This isn't a law student thing. Everyone should watch My Cousin Vinny. It's an excellent film. Yeah. Um, and so part of it, that is just me trying to bring joy to another generation of people by showing. It's amazing. Un- it, is, it is unbelievable to me the number of students who don't raise their hand when I ask who's seen My Cousin Vinny. I'm just like, that's, I thought that yeah. was just an American cinema classic and turns out that y'all's generation doesn't understand cinema. So I'm trying to help y'all <laughs> By telling about that movie, that movie, and then the other one I reference is uh, in when I'm in practice court uh, is um, Paddington is the Paddington yes. movies um, that I try to get adults to go watch because they're so uh, so really good. Um, <laughs> but the looks on people's faces when I talk about that is just you're really talking about a bear movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, did I tell you that a group of us right before our PC two final got together and watched my cousin? Did Vinny. you really? No, yeah, you didn't tell me that. Part of like our almost as part of our state. We're such nice. geeks. We we're like, well, that's a one hundred four A question. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can't stop yourself a little bit whenever. I mean, it's one of those. I mean, you get better at this when you're not in law school. But when you're in law school, you can't help but watch a law like TV show or movie and be like the worst person yeah. in the world. Right. Just being like, that's not really how that works. Yeah. Just so, just. So we're clear. Uh, I generally tend to hold those opinions myself until my wife asks me things like, is that really how that functions? And then I'm just this cavalcade of, no, it is not. And let me explain why. And just, yeah. you know, but I try to hold those opinions back like it. Yeah. We were watching Harry Potter the other day. And uh, Dumbledore at one point goes, innocent until proven guilty, Severus. And I was like, does that, is that? Wizarding law is that does that apply? <laughs> and I, I, it, it was a real struggle to just to keep that one <laughs> to, to just myself. let it go. I was like, it's Harry Potter. It's not real. <laughs> just let that one. I'm just gonna let that one slide. It's not important. Oh, it's amazing. Goodness. We have friends that are outside of law school <laughs> at this point. Yeah. 
I know. Yeah, they're. To be fair, I mean, if you had some spare time in your life, you know, you writing some kind of uh, fan fiction about the legal, the legal division of the uh, House of Magic or whatever yeah. it's called, Ministry of Magic, yeah. might be a pretty interesting little project. Yeah, they do have like hearings and stuff down there. Mm-hmm. See, anyway, oh, there you go. There you go. Um, I wanted to be sure to talk with you about mock trial because uh, I think we've had a few people on here who have mentioned their experiences with mock trial, but we haven't really delved into. Uh, what that program looks like here, and what was interesting. One of the interesting things uh, to me, you know, being in that group in Scotland, there were people from all over the country, right? Law schools all over the country, and most of whom were, you know, decorated mock trial veterans in their own schools. And to hear them be like, "Wow, gosh, this is so different. This Baylor way of doing things is so different," um, because they memorize and they, you know, they have like a script and one team of people will go do everything, you know. Um, so if you will, will you just kind of give us a rundown of how the mock trial uh, program works here, how somebody gets on a mock trial team, sure. how they're assigned, and then, you know, kind of what they can expect out of that experience? Yeah, so we have, y'all, y'all are all aware, so in your third quarter of the law school or fourth quarter, depending on when you start, you have the in-school moot court competition. And one of the things I really appreciate about our program is most law schools, at some point in the first year of law school, they will have you try out for a team. And you kind of have to pick what team you want to try out for. So most schools, you're going to try out for the moot court team. You can try out for the mock trial team. You can try out for negotiation or client counseling or transactional. And then whatever you get on, you are pretty much on that path for the rest of law school. Mm-hmm. Well, two things are true. One, Brad, um, Dean Tobin doesn't let any student try out in their first or be on a team in their first year. And that's because he wants them to get ready for law school and get into law school. And understand. I think that's great. I think that's mm-hmm. the right move. Mm-hmm. I think it allows our students to get their feet wet in class, make sure they're, everybody's on stable footing. Um, and so the first chance you try out for a team is at the end of your first year when you try out for moot court. And then uh, the first chance to be on a mock trial team generally is a couple quarters after that. So when you're usually in your fifth quarter, um, and we have tryouts for mock trial. And generally that's in December um, or late November, early December. We pick the spring teams based on those tryouts. And um, once, and then based on, and after that, you don't have trial again. So it's just a matter of we've seen you, we've, we've had a, you've been coached. We've had a chance for coaches to work with you. I, I've worked with most um, in some capacity, try to watch as many teams as I can, at least one practice. And then we will continue to choose some people out of that group to go on in their third year and compete, and then also continue to hold tryouts and try to you know bring new people in as well. Um, so that's kind of how it functionally pro- you know, works yeah. in terms of the, the process. Um, so I, I don't remember when that was. Sure, yeah. It was one of those questions that had 15 questions. I, I know I answered so. a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Okay, check, check, check. Uh, so... Um, how, how do you decide what team somebody's going to be on? Or like? It's difficult. I mean, it's not a science. Um, you know, <laughs> some of it is, you know, we have some students that have more experience than others. Um, uh, some people are coming from advocacy backgrounds in college, uh, you know, whether it be debate or, or moot court or mock trial, things that give them those reps that not everybody has, and so maybe they're more comfortable. Some of them, um, some of it's just trying to see who fits together, who makes sense together as a team. Uh, so you just sometimes see two students think, man, they look they look right standing to each other. They would sound, they have a contrast in how they sound. They do different things that kind of offset each other well. They seem to like each other. You know, so some of it's that. Um, it is not a science. Uh, and, sure. and it is a bizarre thing. I've, I have been on teams as a student um, where... Uh, 
where the people on the team absolutely hated each other, and the team won the national championship. And I've been on teams <laughs> where um, I've been on teams where everybody loved each other, and everybody was best friends, and it didn't matter at all, and they didn't you know advance anything. And I mean, I, and so there's a chemistry component, but it's weird to figure out what the, chem- the proper chemistry is. So there's just I can't. I mean, there's literally no answer to the question. I think yeah. every student. Every student would have a fair argument if they came to me and said, you know, can you explain with absolute clarity why this person made on this team and this person made on this team? I'd be like, well, I can tell you what my thought process is, but I don't think you're going to walk out of this room and think to yourself, you know, well, I mean, it's, an ob- it's, a, it's not an objective game. You know, yeah. it's a completely subjective game. So my opinion, and I'm the director of advocacy, I've seen a lot of tri- mock trial, I've seen a lot of mock trial, I've seen a lot of mock trial. And so it's based on my experience, based on, but it's also based on my personal preference, and it's also based on you know all those things. Which is why now, you know, one thing I've tried to do is our tryouts now include a lot more people watching. You know, I have a lot yeah. more coaches coming in. I have a lot more people um, to observe, so that I'm trying to get as many viewpoints in that process as possible, so that as many people as possible can kind of give me input on what they liked and who they liked and why. Uh, so that we have a, so that it's not just me sitting there, kind of you know looking at it and being like, I'm going to pick the five people I like. It's more, I want to hear what everybody thinks. And frankly, in that process, sometimes I miss one. You know, sometimes I, I, I like everybody else likes somebody, and I may go, oh, I thought they were okay, but and so I'm like, well, clearly I got that wrong. You know, there's something that they saw that I didn't see. So it's it's not a perfect process, but it's the the best one we have to work with. Uh, when you so when you make it on a team and you're getting ready to go to an actual competition, what are the like the practices like? Depends on the coach. Depends okay. on the coach. I mean, I, I, I'm always hesitant with, with this to, to give a very specific – I'll tell you what mine are like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, this is not going to guarantee they'll be representative of others. I know, for example, there are teams where a big portion of their practice time is like Saturdays and Sundays for like – you know, all day. Like they'll come up here at you know nine o'clock in the morning and be here till five p.m. because that's that's one way they work. I can't do that. Like my brain starts to melt out of my ears after about two and a half three hours. You know, and and so I just don't function that way. So I generally practice five or six days a week, um, and they're generally in the late afternoon or early evening, um, and they most of them are about two two and a half hours because I think that. Uh, after about that time, there's kind of a point of diminishing returns. Um, and my teams generally involve students who are in practice court. Um, so especially in the fall, like I have a team that's going to start probably next week. And when you're in practice court, I also recognize that like, you know, you already are bummed out and tired and now you're going to get more bummed out and tired and practice can be hard. Right, because I mean, I'm gonna tell you when you're making mistakes and make you do it again, and so it can wear on you to the point where, you know, I, I recognize that fact. And so, um, but my thought is more practices, shorter practices, um, kind of means is how I like to approach it. Um, and then you know you have some scrimmages and things like that on the weekends that may go for a full length of mock trial or mock trial round. Um, but that's just the way I do it. You know, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily representative of how everybody does it. We have some teams now that are coached by people remotely. So, you know, some of their practices may be on Zoom. So where they're just in their apartment and, and they don't have to go anywhere. And we have uh, competitions look different. So like the Vordire competition that um, Chris is getting ready for, I doubt those practices look anything like the practices I hold because the competition format is so wildly different right. um, that it wouldn't make sense for it to look like mine. So. I think it's a hard, hard question to answer. I will say this: I think in general, the kid, the students on mock trial teams would tell you that um, if you're, especially if you're in the middle of practice court, 
um, that it is, it's, it's hard, right? It's hard. <clears throat> it is still easier than practicing with me in real life. Um, and I just think, you know, I, the stuff I got to do on mock trial teams, on moot court teams, mock trial teams when I was in law school, um, I think is really invaluable. And then I also, I mean, some of the teams I've coached, like those people are best friends to this day. I was talking to TJ Jones, who's a lawyer in Dallas, and he was telling me he still goes to lunch with Brad Ryan, and then they were on a mock trial team together. That's where they really started to hang out. They would not be doing that if they had been on that mock trial team together. Um, they still go to lunch. They still hang out with each other. Um, you know, I've got mock trial students who have been friends, you know, for de- you know over a decade now because they were on a mock trial team at Baylor together. Um, it's one of those experiences that, which is very unlike anything else you get in law school because you know if you've ever played team sports it's like that mm-hmm. you know you get you're you're in the same room you're working on the same thing you're hanging out with each other you go on these trips um you know one of the things i think we really missed in covid and that i hated was those trips you know for me it's not like i like i've been to chicago it's fine um i like chicago a lot <laughs> sure <laughs> i'd prefer to be in waco this is where i live um, but i like chicago it's fine uh, but what's fun about it is, you know, you go and the, you take the students and some, there's almost always one person who's never been to the place you're going, at least one, if not the whole group. And, and, you know, that's a real bonding experience. You go to meals and you get to talk about stuff. And I always get to find out things that I didn't know about, like opinions about the law school or opinions about professors or like things like that. I'm always like, oh, that's interesting. And I will, um, you know, so, I mean, those are just fun experiences. And we lost that during COVID. And it was so much fun last year, finally to go back on the road and, and actually get back to doing that again. Very cool. You know, one one thing uh, I heard from a lot of people, uh, a lot of the faculty members in Scotland, Professor Wren comes to mind, uh, Dave Deaconson, when giving feedback to all of us was, okay, so that's a mock trial thing, but that's not like a real trial thing, right? Um, obviously, getting reps is important, and that's one of the functions of mock trial, but how do you? How do we here at Baylor? How do you, as the director of the advocacy programs, kind of help bridge that gap between the mock trial, you know, fiction trial setting and practice ready real trials that we're doing? Sure. Ready? I mean, there are things that I think are mock trial in the sense of you wouldn't do them in real trial mechanically. Like I think uh, the way we impeach by omission in mock trial is just not a real thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you would. I mean, very seldom. Because if you didn't ask a question that called for that answer, you really can't impeach them for not saying it, for saying it differently. So if I didn't ask you a question during your deposition where you would have necessarily answered with the answer you've now given for the first time, then I can't really impeach you by omission because I can't just hand you your deposition and say you never said that anywhere. Right. Um, and so that's a very mock trial thing based on the rules of the game. Yeah. And that's a thing I teach my students to do a mock trial. I'm like, you have to be you have to be ready to do this because it may be necessary. Other than that, I don't teach my students to do what I would call mock trial things. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, you know, in terms of how to try a case, I think the way we teach kids how to do mock trials should be like the way they're actually going to try a case in the real world. Yeah. Um, now we do. We, you know, I mean, there were uh, there are certainly students who I think bring a level of drama to what they do. That is, um, uh, that is not what I would call real trial work and the reason for that is because that ain't you either mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. to me it's nothing more than this which is you know i talk about all the time jury trials are credibility contests and your credibility is largely going to be built around being yourself because juries understand when you're being genuine and if you're not being genuine they're going to call you on it and when you start to do kind of ludicrously 
dramatic things. You're obviously not being yourself. Yeah. Because you don't talk like that in real life. You never once in real life, you know, kind of go, and then he went to the window. <laughs> you know, and if you did, all their friends would kind of look at you like you're a crazy person. And, and so, you know, it, that's not how real people talk. And so part of what... You know, we try to do at Baylor is it's it, there's an appropriate level of drama in the courtroom. There's an in, inappropriate, inappropriate level of drama in the courtroom. The and really what I mean by inappropriate level is you just come across fake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the moment you come across fake, I just lose interest. You know, because you're not going to be an effective communicator and you're not going to be an effective lawyer. So, I don't think it's a problem here, in the sense of you know we're teaching you to be overly dramatic. I'm not doing that. You yeah. know, I'm not teaching my students to be overly dramatic. And if anything, we're backing those things down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so I think that's really where that, that distinction comes along between the kind of mock trial, the drama part of mock trial, yeah. and the people who want to treat mock trial as a project, as a theater project, mm-hmm. versus the people who want to treat mock trial for what I think it ought to be, which is we're trying to train people to, to be great lawyers. I'm much more interested in my students feeling like they learned something about how to be a good lawyer than I am in them winning a mock trial tournament. And... yeah. If I can, if they walk out of the process, I always tell my students the first meeting I have, I say the most important thing we're going to do in here is learn. And if they walk away from the project feeling like they didn't learn anything, I'd be I'd be bummed out. But if they walk away without winning, that's just that's going to happen. You're not going to win every tournament. Um, but I mean, I want to get better, and I want to get I want to make them better as lawyers. I want to make sure they they feel like they're more practice ready. They they know something they didn't know when they walked in the room. They're better equipped. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, and I mean, that was by the end of our time in Scotland. I all, Most of the people who at the beginning were like, whoa, this is so different than how we do it. You know, this is so different how we put together a case or try it or whatever. I think almost all of them said, okay, I get it now. You know, I get it. Because it's it's genuine, you know, and I think that that's, that's the whole point. Well, and isn't that great, too? Like, I mean, just exposing yourself. I would love to go to their school and learn how they do it, yeah. right? I mean, like, yeah. I would love the opportunity to go to every school in the country. I would love nothing more if I had the time. I mean, this seems weird because this makes me a real super nerd. But, <laughs> but for the purpose of my career, I would love to be able to go to every single school in the country and watch them, like, from day one with a new packet, like how do they prepare that? Where do they start? What do they start with? What do their practices look like? Um, how do they pick teams? I mean, it'd be fascinating to know how other people do it. Yeah. The same way, by the way, in practice, I'm always, was always, I didn't prepare for things the same way everybody else did. I had my own system and other people's had their own system. And, and you know, it was, you needed to know those things. And, and it was always interesting to find out what people did differently and how they approached things differently. So isn't that great? I mean, you know, just yeah. learn more yeah. stuff about how people do things. I just, how could that ever hurt you? You know, right. just to learn a different way of how to do this. And, and, and I'm, I'm all for that, man. As many, as many different exposures you can get, I think it's probably positive. Yeah. Well, I, I tried to convey that as well. I think it's mostly because I'm an old fogey. I'm a dad, <laughs> right? And I always have to have dad advice. But, you know, toward the beginning, some of these folks were like, I don't know. Like, this is so different. I kind of want to do it my way. And I was like, well, just try this out. Yeah. You know? Just and check it out once. Just, just, just give it a shot. And I think a lot of those people by the end, you know, we're, we're seeing the wisdom of it. So, yeah, it never, never hurts to try. Um, with the time we have left, I would like to talk with you about your involvement with uh, the program in St. Andrews and, and Scotland and everything. How, how long have you been doing that? Since it started. I okay. always forget the year we started. I think it was 2013, 2014, one of those two years. But I was in the very first uh, faculty that, that went over there. Okay, cool. And uh, 
was there a school of the trial and advanced school? There was not. So the very first year we went, we just had a school of the trial. Um, and we had a couple of students who were there who had a little bit of mock trial experience already. And they kind of said, you know, we'd really like to have, it'd be awesome if there was a class that was a bit more like hit the ground running, a yeah. bit more stand up day one, a bit more advanced. So the advanced school started the second year of the program. Okay, cool. And so for, for, people who are interested in it, the school of the trial is kind of like beginning trial ad, It's right? very much like beginning trial yeah. ad. So uh, the original dean of the school of the trial was Jerry Powell, um, okay. Professor Powell, and Professor Powell was also the person who taught beginning trial ad before me. And so I would say that the, the backbone of the, the program in Scotland um, for the school of the trial is, is beginning trial ad. I mean, it looks a lot like that class. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the advanced school of the trial, it's 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 more, mostly it's just we're going to get going a lot quicker. Yeah. You know, so instead of kind of having full days of lecturing and you're listening to us talk, it's we're going to get you up talking. Uh, kind of from day one, we want to hear y'all and, and be doing kind of the, the practice court process of y'all talk and we give feedback on things you're saying. Yeah. And that was really interesting hearing some of my my friends from here at Baylor be like, man, we're, you know, we got our opening statement in two days. I was like, bro, we did the opening statement in like yeah. minute 15. Yeah. No, I mean, it, and that's the thing is, I mean, it's very much, I mean, it, we're tr- we want to make sure, especially that you, there's opportunities for everybody, no matter what level you're at. Um, you know, you had already at that point been through practice court. I think you still thought it was valuable. Um, yeah. Even, you know, you were basically just doing all the things you've already done again. Yeah. Right. But again, it's the reps thing, and yeah. it's and you're it's in a different environment, and it's more intimate because there's not kind of the the feeling that you get here. But but you know even somebody who's already gone through that entire process because you weren't the first. We've had a couple of people now who've gone through practice court and then come to Scotland with us, and I think everybody still feels value out of it. Yeah. And then somebody who literally has never once in their life thought has no idea how to try a case can go over there and get the very basic stuff. Um, and, and that's just going to make you feel more comfortable getting ready for practice court, going to make you feel more comfortable, you know, come back for your second year and all those things. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there was still so much to learn. Like on the cross-examination day, you know, Professor Counselor was in the room with my team and he was like, okay, we got to, we got to slow this down, man. We got to zoom in, you know, we got to get way more granular. We got to think outside the packet. Right. And it's like, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So even if you've been doing this stuff for a little while, you know, and I, I mean, even all told, right? I, I took beginning trial ad uh, 10 months ago. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, you think about it that way. 10 months. Yeah. That's still no time at all to have learned something like that. Well, yeah, that. And then I also think, I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of, I think you can't, you shouldn't try to be a lawyer in a silo, right? You shouldn't try, I mean, you know, I, I worked with uh, Jordan Mayfield over at Amon Howe. We worked on, I mean, I don't know. Most of my career, I was spent with one of us walking to the other one's office say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Yeah. Um, and so that's the same thing you're really talking about. You get in a room, with professor counselor, you're doing a direct and cross for the first time in front of the professor counselor, and just working on cross examination. And now we're going to really dig down. We're going to talk about something maybe I didn't have time to talk about right. in a mini trial. I didn't have time to talk about in a direct and cross exercise when we were when I had fifteen of you in the same time. But now I've got eight of you here in this room in Scotland and I've got more time to try to drill down this thing. Um, and so working with others in that way, you're always, you know, bouncing ideas, getting different thoughts from people, hearing different things. And so I think that's always really helpful. And you get to do it, you know, in like just one of the coolest places on earth. So <laughs> gorgeous, amazing place. Yeah. And I want to talk more about that aspect of Scotland, but just, just to kind of round that out. I mean, talking about hearing other people's perspectives and opinions, I was in the room with folks from Ohio and California and 
other parts of Texas, you know what I mean? And just hearing, okay, yeah, wow, I wouldn't have thought about it that way. Or even having one-on-one time with, you know, folks who I see in the hallway all the time but haven't had yeah. a chance to talk with, right? Um, Hannah, who's who's here at Baylor, she, her, I think her dad's a, a PI attorney or something, and uh, she gave me really good advice about talking about damages. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like just that that small group environment. I think is really conducive. <laughs> small group environment. I mean, I think that you 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 become kind of a little team yeah. in your in your own school. You kind of become a little team, and and and. But then I think the other thing is, I mean, I I tell students all the time, I don't know, you know, how invaluable it is to literally be able to just walk up to Professor Wren and be like, Hey, can I just bend your ear for yeah. ten minutes about right. something? Um, you know, he's tried more cases than most people and 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 you're here in Scotland and we're all relaxed yep. and enjoying our two weeks <laughs> and and we will actually say yes. Yes, you can of course you can talk to me for ten minutes as opposed to I've got to run to this meeting or I've yeah. got this lunch thing I go to go to. I mean, you know, we make, I mean, it's, and I think, you know, I understand kind of the reticence on some students' part to be like, I don't necessarily know if I want the practice court professors to know who I am. That is so, (laughs) that is so wildly wrong. Like, you're in Scotland, and, and, you know, you can take them and say, let's go get a coffee, and I want to just bend your ear, I just want to take, you know, I want to take Beth Tobin and just bend her ear about what it's like to be a prosecutor for 30 minutes, you know, and you know what, she's going to go with you. Yeah. And you're not going to get that, you know, experience pretty much in any other setting uh, that you're that you're going to have. So I just think that kind of one-on-one time you can have with judges and lawyers and professors is just so different than what you experience, you know, when you're just on a day-to-day here at the law school. Not for any fault of, you know, not that Professor Fraley or, or myself, I'm not, I'm always, my door is always open. If you want to come talk about something, I'm more than willing to talk about it. It's just, you know, life gets in the way and we're busy. And so... It's a lot harder during practice court to find those ten minutes to do that. Whereas when I'm sitting in St. Andrews, as long as you're willing to go find somewhere we can sit down and, and have a cup of tea while we do it, I'm more than willing to talk to you about whatever you want. So yeah, I think one of my favorite little snapshots in St. Andrews was uh, there's a, there's a great uh, they call it the Kaylee. It's like a big cultural dance and dinner and this whole thing. Uh, and just weeks after. I had gotten my PC3 grade back, and I had passed, and we were good to go. There I was dancing with Professor Fraley at the Cayley. You know, what I mean? it was like that was just really cool. You know, I was in a kilt, she was in a skirt. We were both wearing skirt-like garments. Garments dancing around the room. It's, it's it just, just a real experience. Yeah, but. yeah. Any uh, anything else you want to pitch about the Scotland trip to our, our listeners, or just to convey how amazing? it Talk is? Talk to the people who went. You know, that's what I tell you. Talk to people who went. I think that you'll find the people who went um, will tell you how much fun they had, how cool the experience was, how cool Scotland is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just think, and you know, and there's, I really like the middle weekend. I mean, it affords yeah. you the chance to go. You, I know you went to London during the middle weekend. I mean, yeah. it affords you the experience, the opportunity to go somewhere else um, while you're there. And it's really easy to go other places while you're there. I mean, it's like a hour-long plane flight if you want to go all the way to Munich or something. Like, yeah. it's just not that hard to go anywhere. Um, but I just, I mean, I, I've been there a bunch of years now and I just think it's a really cool experience. And, you know, if you get the chance to do it, uh, I, I suggest you do it. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, I don't get to tell my criminal, my, my, my moment of criminal, uh, trial victory. I was going to ask you if you had any parting, uh, well, I'm on the criminal law podcast. This is, this is it. This <laughs> I wanted is, to tell this you, is the moment. this is my story about your professors failing at their job. So, <laughs> so, uh, we had a, we would occasionally get, um, assigned as, 
uh, special prosecutors on stuff. And yep. even how, because we had a couple people who either represented cities or whatever. So one of them was a City of Waco employee got pulled over and she wanted to contest the ticket. And so they don't try their own employees. So they had to get a special prosecutor. We were signed special prosecutor. So I went to go try it. And I met with the cop, and, and he was like, yeah, I've got the gun. It was all whatever. They have to calibrate it. He's like, it was calibrated. Here's the sticker. It shows when it was. I was like, well, this seems like a pretty open shut case. He had the video. I was like, this ain't going to go anywhere. So the day of trial comes, and I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? And I'm, this is my civil lawyer brain. I go, I'm going to I'm gonna call her first. I'm going to call the defendant first. <laughs> Put her on the stand. And just go go through this with her. Get her to say a bunch of stuff, and then get the cop on the stand. I'm just using my civil trial brain. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even thinking about it. <laughs> So I do. I stand up, real demonstrative, like, I'm calling the defendant, so-and-so. Put her on the stand. It's this, I mean, it's municipal court, whatever. So I do that. We try the case. It takes, like, maybe a half a day or whatever. And at the end, guilty verdict. And so a victory, I want to know, in my great prosecutor career. Um, and the judge calls me up. He's kind of, Mr. Will, can you come up real quick? And I, I walk up, and he goes, uh, do you realize what you did? At the start of this case, I go, no. I was like, I think I just won. I'm pretty confident. Yeah. I did awesome. <laughs> Mopping the goes, floor with it. Yeah, he's like, uh, you can have your bucket back. <laughs> um, have you ever heard of the concept of, uh, you know, you can't call the criminal defendant <laughs> in a criminal case? And I mean, my face just drops. I'm just like, oh, man. And he starts laughing. And then he goes, you should have seen the uh, two municipal prosecutors who were in the back of the room when you started uh, just giggling at you behind your back while you were doing it. I was like, and now, I thought I had a good day. I was like, I won, and then it's all ruined. I look at him, I go, is there any chance you can not call um, my partners at Damon Howe? He goes, there is no chance. He's like, he's like, on speaker right yeah, he's, now. Like, he's like, the next thing I'm doing is going to my office to call Jerry Campbell and tell him what you did. So I went oh, immediately back to the office and said, well, I got to tell you guys a story. So that was my only criminal trial. I was successful, and yet made one of the biggest mistakes you can make in a criminal trial. Um, and only due to the defendant's ignorance was that not an issue for me. So that was my great moment of criminal work. They but didn't have you back to do a felony? Or Shockingly, they did not call me back for another one. They did not invite me back for a second time. So. Yeah, getting that, uh, that constitutional stuff right, that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of, that's that's kind kind of, of the, the hurdle. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, clear, just, yeah. like, I mean, in criminal work, that's kind of, but I mean, again, yeah. you know, I'm my civil trial brain, it's like the Constitution is not a thing that I care about. I mean, I just, that is largely insignificant to my job. I mean, you know, we've got, we've got the world of torts is all we care about. But for that one day, I got, I did my toe in the world of constitutional law and failed miserably. So, well, there you go. Inspiring, inspiring things because you too can be a law professor who does not understand the Constitution at a fundamental level, that is what I'm telling you. So much better. Yeah, just well, just never give up hope. Never give up hope. That's right. I think I heard Professor Sayers screaming outside the door, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll check on him. We'll check on him after this. To, to be fair, I mean, I'm sure if I was taught con law by Professor Sayer, I would have understood this concept. Uh, no, that's not fair. But <laughs> Professor Gwynn did nothing wrong. This was all my fault. This was all my fault. That's it. Well, aside from, you know, uh, respecting the highest law of the land, uh, is there any other <laughs> nuggets of wisdom you want to leave with our viewers, our listeners? Excuse me before we go. No, I mean, I think this is, I mean, I, you know... I, Obviously, I, this is a, a podcast focused on the world of criminal law. I think it's uh, a great um, thing to do. I think if you want to try cases, it's certainly a place you can go to do that, and I think that's fantastic. And, of course, I always tell people, you know, uh, don't ever be afraid to, to not treat your first job as your last job and, and always be open to new possibilities no matter what you want to do and, um, you know, always be looking to see uh, what's out there for you. So mostly just 
keep making it fun. Find yeah. a way to make it fun. Find a way to make law school fun. Find a way to make your job fun. Find a way to have fun doing something because otherwise life's too short. So uh, just find a way to make this job exciting and interesting and fun for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Conagher, anything else from you? No, that was great. Okay. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Thanks so much. All right, listeners, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. Till next time, y'all take care. Bye.